how healthy or unhealthy is Lake Erie right now? Any freshwater source can probably be a little healthier, but are we at a point where we need to be concerned? Michelle Woodhouse is the water program manager at Environmental Defense, so she pays very close attention to this. And on August 31st, for the last six years, they've circulated a hashtag that says, We are Lake Erie, hoping to get some conversation going about this. So let's get some conversation going about this. We asked Michelle how things appear to be. How do they look as she looks out over the lake? It's <laughs> um, a pretty big question, but I would say that, you know, there's different parts of the lake that are obviously that are seemingly doing okay. And we are visiting them in the summertime and enjoying them at different parts of the year. But the truth is that Lake Erie really is reaching a tipping point from an environmental standpoint. Um, and many people working on this issue, scientists, advocates, kind of know we're sort of sleepwalking towards disaster if we don't take serious and timely action um, that really matches the urgency and severity of the problem, which is related to the toxic algae blooms that are creating um, dead zones that are choking the lake out and suffocating all of the life that depends on the lake, like the fisheries, among other species. So it's quite a big issue. And it also has major implications for drinking water when these blooms do happen um, during the warmer summer months. We will get to what can be done, but let's first understand where we sit right now, because it was a few years ago and we first heard the words, the description, the name algae bloom. And you would think, oh, what's that? And then the more you looked into it, you realized, yeah, well, sometimes when things bloom, it's really nice. When flowers bloom, looks good. We're not talking about that. So what do you mean by toxic algae bloom and where are these coming from? Yeah, so the toxic algae blooms are essentially um, the result of a few different contributing factors, but one of the main factors is from agricultural runoff. So all of the fertilizer that's being applied, there's phosphorus and nitrogen losses that happen when that's applied onto crops, as well as also like the number of animals that are uh, creating excessive amounts of waste you know, that that has to go somewhere. It can't all actually get used on the farms necessarily all the time. So excess can make its way into the water and into Lake Erie eventually. So this is all kind of contributing to too much nutrient pollution in the lake, which is causing these toxic algae blooms to grow that, you know, they have serious consequences. Um, This hasn't happened in Lake Erie, but even like sometimes when animals have gone swimming in the water where this is happening in a lake, they can be fatal and um, yeah, there it creates a, a very harmful toxin called microcystin that we just can't be touching or ingesting. Um, as well as, like I said, it's, it's causing the, the lake to kind of suffocate and making it so that life can't really be sustained around the areas that these blooms are happening. Not good. Definitely. No. Not good at all. We're talking right now with Michelle Woodhouse and social media can be an interesting place. You can share 
pictures of what's going on in your life. You can listen to people fight over what political stripe is right and who's telling you the truth and who isn't. Today, you're going to see a hashtag. You may have seen it already. We are Lake Erie, and it's drawing attention to Lake Erie. We like to tell ourselves we're lucky to be able to live near the Great Lakes because we've got fresh water. Run around the world and ask people to throw up their hands if they are near fresh water, as near to fresh water as we are, you're not going to see too many hands. We're in a pretty prime position. So the idea that we've got some issues with this, that's problematic. So, Michelle, you mentioned the term sleepwalking toward some things here that we probably can't turn back once they happen. What do we need to do or what can be done in order to wake us up? Well, everyone needs to understand and acknowledge that we are talking about a tipping point of a global treasure, um, one of the most biologically productive of all the Great Lakes. So no small, ma- no small matter, as we've kind of made clear so far in this call. Um, but what we can do, what, what does need to be done is that we need different levels of government. So in the case of here in Ontario and Canada, we need our governments to to step up and to do more on ensuring that the solutions that we know can have a positive impact, um, such as like the implementation of best management farming practices and addressing um, environmentally harmful farming practices. There's things that we can do to do that. And right now we have voluntary measures in place to work with the farming community on that. This is... Um, we also have the Canada-Ontario Lake Erie Action Plan that sets out different goals and objective, objectives to uh, reach a target we have for 2025 of 40% reductions in phosphorus into the lake. Um, we're not really sure exactly how we're doing in terms of the progress we're making on that. Like We haven't heard much back from the government since 2018 on how that's going, and 2025 is not that far around the corner. Um, and so the government does have a role to play in if something's not working, if we're not seeing enough voluntary uptake of far, from the farming community of best management practices, then we need to figure out what we can do to address that. That may involve regulating the agricultural industry to a certain degree. And this is where you can't just keep that. That's where we need to understand this isn't just a government issue. The government needs to do this. The government definitely, there's certain things that need to happen um, and more to be done there. But industry really needs to be held accountable as well, because there's lots of um, pushback from industry when advocates or scientists say, oh, this is what we need to change in this complex agri-food system that farmers are only one part of, right? They play one role in this. But there's a much larger food system at play across the agricultural sector that needs to be addressed that's also contributing to environmentally unsustainable farming practices. So... This is not an easy task to take on. There's lots of powerful people working within the agricultural sector and lobbyists that will push back against different environmentally sustainable solutions. Um, and we all know that yeah, like farmers are very important. Um, the food system is very important, but it, it is currently broken. And we do need to address that um, with our governments and industry. Well, dealing with issues with regard to farming, we should always find as very delicate because you said it. We need our farmers. We need to be Mm -hmm. thanking our farmers. Are we talking about changing 
the way that they're doing things in a big way to prevent runoff? I mean, is this something that can be done easily or is this something that we're asking for a, a really big ask? Well, from the, the role that the farmers themselves play, uh, there's absolutely things that can be done um, to help farmers along the way to get the proper support and assistance that they need. That a part of that will come from, you know, the government needs to help with uh, with that aspect. But, you know, even there's things such as um, the role that crop advisors play. Crop advisors are letting farmers know like they're selling fertilizer to farmers and there's an interest. It's mostly private. There's an interest in selling more fertilizer because you're going to make more money. But then that means that the farmers are being advised on applying more fertilizer than's actually necessary to get the proper yields for their crops that they need. And then there's also things like a ban on winter spreading of fertilizer. They've done this in different U.S. states around the Great Lakes. It's a very reasonable, tangible step to take that can be taken um, without costs really too many costs being incurred by farmers and it just makes good common logical sense to do it but we haven't done that over here on our side of the border yet and that conversation hasn't really um taken off in a very meaningful way so you know this is a delicate subject for sure and that's why i also i don't want to put all of the focus on just farmers being the one that have a role to play this is a whole system and farmers are going to need lots of support. And there's definitely good work that's already being done um, with certain farming, um, with certain farmers and the farming community. And for example, here with like conservation authorities in implementing these best management practices and land, uh, different types of things you can do with your land to ensure that we're growing our food in a way that's more in harmony and balance with the watershed. And so we do see examples of this being done. It's just when something's voluntary and you're doing something a certain way for a long time, it's it's hard to get everyone on board to just sign up and do it as, and, you know, and to make sure that all the proper supports are being put there in place to, for, to set people up for success. There sure is. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for talking about We Are Lake Erie. We'll look for the hashtag. And when you see it, at least think about this conversation and think about, all right, what am I doing that could be done differently, that could help out in some way? Michelle, all the best. Appreciate you bringing the topic to us. Yes, thank you so much. That is right there, a conversation about Lake Erie with Michelle Woodhouse, Water Program Manager at Environmental Defense. You can look for the hashtag WeAreLakeErie that's promoting that conversation today. This is the sixth year that they have put that out.